We're um, in the book of James, and a few weeks ago I said that we were going to kind of settle into the book and that I didn't know how long it would take, but we were going to kind of walk chapter by chapter, section by section, and just see where God takes us. And this morning, uh, this message is kind of like that. We're going to just unpack some pa- a passage from James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And I just want to warn you, you might want to reach down and like readjust your shoes, tighten them up a little bit, because as I studied this passage this week, God stepped on my toes in some pretty big ways. And so I will undoubtedly step on your toes a little bit today also, so just prepare yourselves for that, okay? Just remember, don't shoot the messenger. Hopefully what I'm going to give you is going to be the word of God, so if you're unhappy about it, God has a complaint department, I'm sure. He'd be happy to hear your complaints. And he can handle it. It's okay. But anyway, we're going to be sitting down in this text. And I believe this passage has some extremely important things to say to our situation, especially at this time in America and what we're going through. So let me read the text. We'll get that text kind of in us and and kind of be able to mull it over, get the context, and then we'll dive in together. Listen as I read. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Anybody feel like your life is the opposite of that? Just right off the bat, you know, quick to get angry, quick to speak, and slow to listen. Anybody? I'm the only one willing to admit it. All right, here we go. Um, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger, he says, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God that he has planted in your hearts. For it is the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means, now listen to this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. All right, all kinds of things there we can unpack. But the reason that I believe this text has so much to say to us today is because in the time of James, who wrote this and circulated, circulated it among the Jewish Christians that were kind of scattered abroad by various means, the reason that, 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 that this is so appropriate for today is because they were dealing with a couple of things that we too are dealing with, I think, in our day and age. And I want to give you those two things right up front, and then we'll kind of dive into them in a little bit more detail. First and foremost, they had an issue with listening. They weren't listening to each other. Now, most of us know in a relational kind of way that if you do not listen to those that you are in close relationship with, that is damaging and hurtful to the relationship. I would take it one step further. I believe that listening to one another is one of the most common and basic forms of courtesy and respect that you can show to another individual. One, they were not listening to each other. Two, They were hearing the word that God had planted in their hearts, but they had no interest whatsoever in letting it change them. So they were hearing it, but they weren't doing it. They were hearing, but not doing. Those two issues existed in the early church. All right, let's dive in, because I believe they exist in the church of today as well. 
I like what James says at the beginning. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. And then he gives us an imperative. You must all be. Isn't that kind of forceful of James to do that? I mean, after all, he is the head of the church in Jerusalem. He's Jesus' brother. He says, you must all be. That sounds like he's not leaving them any option, doesn't it? How many of you have children that you've raised in your lifetime? Raise your hand if you're raising or have raised children. How many of you have walked up to your kids and said, would you please go clean your room? And then they don't. So you say, please go pick up your clothes. And then they don't. Would you please finish your supper? And then they don't. Would you help mow the lawn? And then they don't. I know none of you have this issue. You have perfect children. My children sometimes do not not respond well to suggestions. And there's a point where the suggestion has to become an imperative. Go clean your room. Not probably. Sometimes I get even louder than that, believe it or not. Pick up your clothes. But, 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 no buts. Pick up your clothes. Right? Or there will be kind. Any of you threaten your children? Just curious. I'm the only one. Oh, there's, a, there's others. Good. I don't threaten them, actually. But there will be consequences. Pick up your room. You know, phones are a wonderful invention because it gives us one more thing to take away from our children. Isn't that great? I don't know what my parents did for discipline because they couldn't take my... Oh, I do know. They spanked me. That's what they did. There's an imperative. And so the idea is, you know, you can only ask for so long. And then when they don't do it, they don't follow it. You have to come to the imperative. I get the feeling here that James has had this conversation with him. You know, it's just kind of in the way, reading between the lines. This is just my opinion. But it almost sounds as if James is like, you know what? I've said it. I've said it. I've said it. You know what the truth is? You must all be. You've just got to do it now. So pay attention. Listen up. This is what you're going to be. And so he says, you must all be, and then he goes on to say, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Again, let me say it. Listening to another person, I believe, is one of the most basic ways to show them respect. And we live in a culture that does not value listening like we should. Now, there are people in our culture who are very big on listening, and and books have been written, and and counselors try to train this and teach this. Those of us that do premarital counseling beg couples to have good communication skills and listen to each other. But when you look at our population at, at large, a lot of times what happens is everybody is speaking, and no one's listening. There are so many messages out there today. They're they're on television. They're on social media. The the average person can reach thousands of people these days just by typing something on Facebook. And and so we have the ability to speak better and bigger than any time throughout history. I mean, we have access to thousands of people, and we love to make our opinions known. There should have been an amen there. It's not a good thing that there should have been an amen there, but I know that's how you feel. But James says this, he says, listen, you need to be slow to speak. You need to be quick to listen. In other words, when someone else is speaking, when you hear messages, when people are talking to you, communicating to you, your go-to response should be, let me hear what you have to say. In fact, say that with me. Say, let me hear what you have to say. Say it it with me. Here we go. Ready? Let me hear what you have to say. But most often what we say is, listen to me. You see, we don't live in a culture 
where the popular opinion is that we should listen. We are quick to, to, to speak, but slow to listen. And James says it's got to be the other way around. We need to become a people who are quick to listen and to hear what others have to say. Our go-to reaction should be, let me listen to what you say. The reason that we often don't listen, at least the one I don't. How many of you, when someone says something to you or starts having a conversation with you or tells you what their problem is, how many of you start immediately in your mind thinking of what you're going to say back to them? Anybody do that? I think it's human nature. I think we, we kind of start formulating our response. It's almost like when the enemy's shooting at you, you want to make sure you load your weapon. Right? Is that a bad analogy? That's a bad analogy in this day and age, isn't it? But sometimes that's how it feels. You know, you can just kind of look across the table if you're having a disagreement and you can see their eyes check gathering ammunition to fire back at me right now. They're not even hearing what I'm saying. And I got to tell you, I do this even with people that I'm not at odds with. I had a, there's a person I meet with for discipleship and, and he was unloading, you know, some things and talking to me about some stuff and sharing some things about his life and challenges that he had. And you know what? I noticed myself doing this. I, I, you know, as soon as he said, you know, what the issue was, I started in my mind saying, Oh yeah, I've been through that. I know what the and I've got the I almost was tempted to interrupt him in the middle of his story so that I could tell him that I could solve all of his problem by just giving him what I knew because it was so smart and so intelligent. Isn't that the most arrogant thing you've ever heard? But that's what my mind did instead of just sitting there and hearing him out, which is what he needed me to do. My mind was trying to convince me that I should break in because I've already got the the answer. And you know what? Most of us don't have the answer. Most of us need to listen more. But so often when we're listening, we're so busy formulating the response that we don't hear what the other person has to say. And James says, listen, you've got to listen. You've got to hear people out. Let them tell their story. And then think about it. And then speak. You know, I've got to be honest with you. The slow to speak thing is hard for me because I have the gift of gab. But sometimes we need to just listen and hear people out and say, you know what? Thank you for sharing that with me. I don't want to say something that's going to seem frivolous. I don't want to say something that's going to push you in the wrong direction. I'm going to take some time and pray about what I just heard. And then I'm going to respond back to you. He says we should not only be slow to speak, but slow to become angry as well. How many of you get really angry when somebody says something to you and you just go off the handle? And of course nobody's going to own up to that, right? But we're quick to, we, we kind of get, I get, I'm quick to get angry, I'll admit it. Sometimes when people say stuff to me that I don't like, man, that you just feel your blood pressure starting to rise and, I don't know, you feel like steam's about to come out of your head. It, it happens. But you know what James says? He says, listen, be slow to speak and slow to get angry. In other words, hear what people say and don't let it make you angry. You know, when someone is sharing their opinion, even if it's different than yours, all they're doing is exercising their God-given right to hold an opinion. And that shouldn't make us mad. But you know what? It does. You look around in our culture today and we're being told the popular message is your opinion doesn't matter unless it agrees with mine. That's what people are telling us all over social media, all over the news, all over the political scene. Your opinion doesn't matter unless it, 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 it agrees with mine. And that's not true. Every single person's opinion matters. Now, not about everything. For instance, if you're going to fix a furnace or something, don't get my opinion, get Mark's. Because mine doesn't matter. Because I know nothing about fixing a furnace. You get what I'm saying? My opinion doesn't matter on stuff I don't know about. But listen, it's okay for me to have an opinion. So don't let it anger you that someone doesn't agree with you. Listen to their story. Be slow to speak 
and be slow to get angry. And then he goes on to clarify that this anger thing is really kind of part of the problem. He says, human anger does not produce righteousness or the righteousness that God desires. James says we shouldn't get angry because our human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And listen, as Christians, I understand we have this desire to stand up for what we believe in, don't we? And I think we should. I think we should absolutely stand up for the things that we uh, believe in. And if people disagree with us, it's okay for us to disagree with them and, and to tell them what we believe. But for thousands of years, the church, unfortunately, has fallen prey to this idea that if we get angry, it's, it's righteous indignation because we're the church and obviously we're right. And so we go after people and we go toe-to-toe with people and we end up in arguments with people and those arguments don't lead anywhere good. Have you ever heard of the Crusades? Let's go kill people so we can convert them to Christianity. I know there's more to it than that. I know it's a complex issue. But friends, that was the sum total of the the logic. We're going to protect the world from the Muslims by killing them. Does that sound like Jesus? No. Anger is not going to produce what God desires to come out of our lives. It just doesn't happen that way. And yet we think that we're justified in using anger to further the cause of Christ. And probably the reason is because Jesus got angry, right? We use that all the time. Well, Jesus got angry. Righteous indignation. Jesus got angry, therefore I can get angry. Okay, let's go with that. Do you remember who Jesus got angry at? Anybody want to venture a guess? Church people. Who said that? Brenda's wise beyond her years. Or maybe wise enough for her years. I don't know, Brenda. You take that however you want. Yes, church people. When Jesus went into the temple and he saw the Jews setting up their tables to rob people as they're going into worship, He got angry. He said, you're interfering with these people's ability to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father because you're calling their sacrifices substandard when they really aren't so that they have to buy from you so you can make money. Now imagine for a moment that I got Joe Beffrey and Pat um, Gilbert to stand by the door and as you came in the door, I just told them, listen, grab their wallets and grab a couple bucks out on the way in. Would that make it conducive for you to come in and worship? Probably not. You'd be so angry with them. I mean, you wouldn't do anything because, I mean, let's be honest, Joe's huge. But you'd be so mad at them, you'd be so mad at me, and you would come in with a foul heart and a foul attitude, and you'd be angry and muttering. That is not how we approach worship, is it? Standing in the way of people's worship. And so Jesus walks in and he throws their tables over. Man, I hope heaven has a big video screen so we can watch scenes from history on the, you know, in 4K so we can see what that looked like to see Jesus just going postal on some. You know, that's not a good word to use. But, you know, he just did because he felt offended that they were turning his father's house into something it never should have been. So that's the example from Scripture. So let's take that example and try to apply it the way that we use our anger today. We've got to be angry against, insert political party here, because they don't follow what the Bible says. Doesn't work, does it? You see, the righteous indignation that Jesus displayed was toward people who knew better not doing the right thing. 
It wasn't aimed at the world who doesn't know any better. Listen, as Christians, we should never be angry at people who do not know Christ for not acting like Christians. They don't know better. Now, in, my, in our minds, maybe they do because, you know, well, they have the Bible. They haven't experienced the loving grace of Jesus yet. You cannot hold them accountable to act like Christians should act. So anger doesn't lead where we want it to lead. He says further, if anger isn't the action or the answer, then what is? How, how, do, we, how do we basically produce the righteousness that God wants to appear in this world, righteousness that comes through us and flows to other people. He says it's to humbly accept the word of God. So instead of getting angry at people and arguing with them, our hearts, because he says it has the power to save souls. That's what has the power, the word of God. Don't just listen to it, he says. Do it. This is the most obvious. I wouldn't even need to preach on most of this. He just says it. Don't just hear the word. Do it. What does that mean? Anybody want to unpack that? It means when you're reading your Bible, take it seriously. When you read about Jesus' life and what he tells you to do, take it seriously. Jesus said, well, he didn't really mean that. Did he? Yes. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, but who's my neighbor? Right? let's pare it down a little bit. No, he meant everyone. He told a story to demonstrate that. It means taking Jesus seriously. Do what you read. Don't just listen to the word, do it. Otherwise, he says, you're just fooling yourselves. And then he uses this illustration of the mirror. I love this. How many of you have ever gotten up in the morning, looked in the mirror, and wished you could forget the image you saw there? Right? As I get older, I'm thinking to myself, that is not the guy who went to bed last night. Right? He looks, he's got bags, he's got droops places, and when, especially when I need a haircut like I do now, my hair's all mashed out of shape, and it's ugly. But, you know, he uses this illustration. He says, listen, if you hear the word and you don't do it, it's like a guy walking up to a mirror, looking at what he looks like, and then as soon as he turns away, forgets what the image looked like. It, it basically may, means that the mirror was, was wasted. It was worthless. The experience of looking in the mirror did him no good. And you know what? Scripture is a mirror. The Word of God is a mirror that we should be looking into on a regular basis. And what we should see in that mirror is lives in us that are reflecting what we find in there. But if we forget what the Word says and we don't take it seriously and we don't do it, then we will never become more like what Jesus wants us to become like because the Word will make no difference in our lives. So he says you're wasting your time. He says, on the other side, however, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you look carefully into it, if you study it, if you meditate on it, if you give it your time and attention, if you give the law that sets you free your time and attention, and if you do it, you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, then he says this, he says, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, This part of it is kind of controversial or has been throughout the ages. Did you know that Martin Luther, remember the great reformer, the guy who started the Protestant Reformation? Some of you may know who he is, some of you may not. Lived kind of during the Middle Ages, but um, he was the one who kind of broke off from the Catholic Church because he believed that salvation was by faith through grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Guess where he found those words? In the Bible. (laughs) 
And so he said, you know what? This isn't what, I'm, this isn't what I've been taught. This isn't what I'm living. And so he separated himself from the Catholic Church and put up his 95 Thesis and started the Protestant Reformation, of which we are a part. Martin Luther wanted James taken out of the Bible because he said there's, no, there's nothing of grace in here. It's all about works. It's all about doing. It is nothing of grace. And this passage right here was one of the issues that he had because it says, if you obey, then God will bless you. And that kind of formulaic religion, Martin Luther said, that's not what Romans says. Romans says you accept it by grace. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn the blessing of God. You just receive it. And so he had odds with this. Now here's the way that we work that out, at least what I believe is the way that we work that out. I think that the blessing is obviously there when we do what God asks us to do. There's a couple different blessings that come from obedience to the word of God. And they're not that God looks for us to mess up and then withholds that blessing or he looks for us to succeed and then suddenly gives it to us. There are some blessings that naturally come from the fact that we've been obedient. For instance, if you do something wrong, there's often consequences. And most of the consequences to sin are not what I would call blessings. Amen? If you do something wrong, and furthermore stupid, you probably will reap some consequences that are not going to be easy for you to deal with. Can I just say this? I, uh, I grew up with an older brother. He was three years older than me. Now, I know that the ancient wisdom is that children should never learn from anyone else's experience, that they actually have to, you know, only learn from their own experiences and ignore what everybody else has. I'm being facetious, right? That's kind of how our kids act. They don't ever want to hear what somebody else said. But I got to tell you, I was a smart kid. And my older brother, in his life, bless his heart, he's doing great now, but he made some choices when he was young that got him into a lot of trouble. And I saw the consequences of some of the choices my brother made. And you know what I thought? I thought, you know what? I don't see those as blessings. (laughs) Car got taken away. License got taken away. All these different things. And I'm thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to do things differently than he did so that I can have all these things that he has had to forfeit because he made some wrong choices in life. Blessings. When you do the wrong thing, the consequences come. How many of you had a conversation with somebody who just whined and pouted about their whole life and you literally were sitting there wishing you could say to them, listen, I know where this issue came from. It was this decision back here. I know where this trouble came from. It was this decision back here. But you can't tell them that because, you know, grace, grace and truth, you know, we got to try to get them on the right path. Oftentimes there is a blessing that is imminent When you do what God says, because when you operate within the boundaries of the law of God, the word of God, then you are safe from some of the consequences that come. The other part of that is the incredible blessing that comes when we are able to overcome sin in our lives. If we don't do the wrong thing, then there isn't that sin that holds us apart from God. Now, make no mistake about it, God doesn't move, but our sin can separate us from God. Just like if I do something to offend my wife, and I don't pursue that and I don't work it out it will interfere with the relationship that we have and it won't be nearly as good as it could be if we went ahead and worked those things out so there's that blessing that comes in the consequences there's the blessing that comes in relationship with God and so I think James can stay in the Bible don't you I know nobody's asking me 
But I believe that James is simply trying to say, listen, you've got to walk your talk. And if you are a believer, then there are certain things that are going to come out of your life. And part of that has to do with understanding and accepting the law of God. And so as we get that full and enriched relationship with Christ, he kind of wraps everything up with a couple more statements. Let me just read them for you. In verse 26, he says this, If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, he's back on the tongue thing again, back on the speaking thing again, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Friends, we live in an age where people don't even try to control their tongue. Or their fingers. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I don't even want to explore this thing anymore. I'm just going to let it sink in. If you do not control your tongue, what does he say? Let me read it exactly so you can't say Pastor Jeff was picking on me today. If you claim to be religious, and I know some of you will stumble over that word religious. It's simply a translated word that means devotion or your relationship with God. Keep in mind he's writing to Jews, and so he would use a word that the, word, that the Jews would connect with, and religion was what they were all about. So he's literally talking about your devotion and your faith. If you claim to be devoted, for instance, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your devotion or your religion is worthless. Friends, those are strong words. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit figure out how to help you to apply that. Because if I say it, then you have an excuse. But if God says it, you just got to do it. Amen? That's a tough thing to say. Pure and genuine religion, he goes on to say, in the sight of God the Father. I love this. I love it whenever the Bible says, hey, by the way, this is it. This is the total. This is what you got to do. This is the evidence. And that's what he does. Pure and genuine religion or devotion in the sight of God the Father means, here it is, caring for my family and preserving my way of life no matter what. That's not what it says, is it? I should have had him put it up on the screen when I did that. That was ineffective. I'll work on that next week. That's not what my translation actually says. Did yours? If it did, you got the wrong Bible. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means this. This is the real thing. Caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Boy, he makes Christianity sound easy, doesn't he? This is the sum total of what devotion means. Care for the the marginalized those who have no one to defend them, those who have no one to stick up for them, those who have no one to earn bread for them, care for those who Jesus described as the least of these. And don't let the world mold you into its mold. Didn't Romans 12 say something about that? You can look that up if you want. Be not transformed by this world. We should not be being molded by the world. We should be doing the molding, right? We should be influencing the people around us to make them more like Jesus, not allowing ourselves to become more like them. And let me tell you something. If we took that scripture seriously, the church would look very different than it does today. Because if our main concern was simply resisting letting the world shape us and caring for those who need someone to stand up for them, our our agenda in the church would look very different. And friends, I believe, especially in this day and age now, that we need to address this issue because this is the issue that's being addressed all around us. 
Our world is going to war over whether or not those who are downtrodden and and unheard and marginalized are are being humanized or dehumanized. We're, We're fighting over people's rights. We're fighting over all of this stuff. And in a lot of cases, I hate to say this, and some of you are not going to like me for it, but in a lot of cases, the church has fallen on the wrong side of the argument. And we're fighting to preserve our way of life instead of fighting for the rights of those who have no one to fight for them. That's all I'm going to say about it because I'm already going to get a hail of emails. But friends, you need, if we really believe the word, what does it say? We need to take it seriously. And we need to listen to what it says and let the word of God change us. And when we let the word of God change us, then I believe we will grow up in our faith because that's what we've been talking about. We will come to maturity when we're willing to allow the word of God to shape who we are. And we stop trying to make the Bible say what we want it to say. So all of this simply to say that there were two issues then And there are two issues now. And those two big issues are this. People don't listen to each other. And I think if we as a church started just doing that one thing and started just listening to people and being slow to speak and slow to anger, man, our churches would look very different than they do. I don't think we'd ever have another fight again, do you? We might have discussions, but we wouldn't have fights. The second one is simply this. Let the word of God shape you. Let the word of God mold you. Live what the word says. When the word of God says, control your tongue, (laughs) do it. It's hard, isn't it? Sometimes that guy who just cut you off needs to get a tongue lashing, don't you think? Not according to scripture. It's hard, I get it. But friends, that's why Jesus promised that he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. We don't have to do this alone. He's with us. Pray with me. Father in heaven, there's been some hard stuff in here, some hard things to unpack, some hard things to to take in. We we grow up in America believing that that our, our sole responsibility is just to fight for the American way, to live for the American dream. But honestly, from what I read in your word, I I think that you want us to not only strive for the American dream for ourselves, but to make sure that everybody else has the same opportunity. To lift up those who have no one to lift them up. To speak for those who have no one to speak for them. And I know that's hard to interpret. It's hard to live out today because everybody believes that they're right. And the truth of the matter is, they probably all are. And if we would listen to each other long enough, we would probably be able to find the common factors that we all agree on that would make our world a better place. So help us, God, to listen, to be slow to speak, and to be slow to anger, and allow your word to so permeate our lives that people no longer know us because of what we're against but they know us because of who we protected and who we lifted up and how we made our community a better place for everyone. God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.